welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary, the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. A young father was trying to explain to his daughter the concept of marriage. This was a little four-year-old. And so he thought, well, maybe the best way to do this is by a visual aid. So he got out the wedding album of his wife and himself and began to explain to his four-year-old the entire wedding service and how it went down. And when he was finished, he asked his four-year-old if she had any questions. And she pointed to a picture in the wedding party, and she asked, Daddy, is this when Mommy came to work for us? A teacher gave her class of second graders a lesson on the magnet, you know, that uh, is able to grab things by its pull, and tried to explain to them what the magnet does. And the next day, a written test was given, and she included in this written test a question, my full name has six letters, and the first one is M. I pick up things. What am I? And when the test papers were turned in, the teacher was astonished to find out that almost 50% of the students answered that the question with the word mother. They missed the lesson about the magnet, didn't they? When we're young, we need an example of sincere faith. And too often, parents say that they want their children to make up their minds about religion rather than to... um, influence them with their own religious beliefs, and they usually say that because parents really haven't made up their minds as to what they believe, and so they don't know what to pass on to their youth. And so, in essence, they are making disciples of their children of their own belief system in practically nothing but trust in themselves, and their children are going on to believe just like the parents unless somewhere along the line there is an intervention I would like to have it said at the end of my course and day that I help people point them to the cross of Christ as the true meaning of faith, because at least they would be prepared for the crisis that lies before us, and they would cease entrusting to self. The ultimate meaning of the cross is the cleansing of the sanctuary, and it is the third angel's message in verity. In everything that you've needed to know in life, somewhere along the line, there's been a mother there probably who has taught you the essentials of life, and I hope that you got a good start with a mother who had a difference in her pocket. And when I talk about a mother with a difference, I'm talking about a mother who understands true faith. Well, we've all had mothers who've taught us logic, If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can't go to the store with me. Mother has taught us that if everyone jumped off a cliff, would you do it too? My mother taught me about medicine. If you don't stop crossing your eyes, they're going to freeze that way. My mother taught me to think ahead. 
If you don't pass your spelling test, you're never going to get a good job. My mother taught me how to meet a challenge. What were you thinking when you did that? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. My mother taught me about humor. When that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't come running to me. I warned you. And my mother taught me how to become an adult. If you don't eat your vegetables, you won't grow up. My mother taught me about genetics. You're just like your father. And my mother taught me about my roots. Do you think you were born in a barn? Close that door. My mother taught me about the wisdom of age. When you get to be my age, you will understand, she says, or I will explain it all to you when you get older, because what comes around goes around, and you're going to get it too. My mother taught me about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. And my mother taught me about receiving. You're going to get it when I get home. And my mother taught me about justice. One day, you're going to have kids, and I hope they turn out just like you, and then you'll see what it's like. I can't wait. Let's look at a mother this morning with a difference. The greatest mother of all time, and I'm not talking about Eve. She's the mother to whom the angel spoke these words in Luke chapter 1 and verse 28. Hail thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now most people interpret that highly favored to mean that the Virgin Mary was a super Hollywood beauty star. But the Bible makes plain That favor is deceit and beauty is vain, but a woman that reverences the Lord, she shall be praised. Proverbs 31.30. And for an angel to tell Mary that she was highly favored of the Lord did not mean cosmetics, but the hidden adorning of the heart, a beautiful spirit. Mary herself discloses that she had a problem involving humiliation, for she sings in her poem that the Lord hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. The Greek word for low estate means humiliation, even vile in one place in the Bible. Mary evidently knew sorrow and rejection, even as her son was despised and rejected of men. And at last Joseph married her to be the stepmother to at least six motherless children. There's no mother in all history that has ever gone, been called upon to endure the terrible pain that Mary went through, even though it is probable that many pagan mothers there in the Roman Empire were forced to watch their sons being crucified. That was a common execution method. But none of them was forced to watch the son whom Mary knew to be the Son of God, to be crucified. Mary was a special individual who suffered in seeing that. And so that sight just tore at her soul, for with his death she, saw, she thought she saw the death of all mankind. And in our few moments here together, devoted in thinking about mothers and Mother's Day, I wonder if we can learn a lesson from this mother with a difference 
Yes, those words, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. That is a good Mother's Day message to every mother in the world who will simply believe the good news about Jesus and his cross. And why is that? Because Mary's son is the Savior of the world. And that, dear heart, that includes you. You are elected to salvation in Christ. God has a very special regard for every struggling mother, and her prayers have a special place at his throne of grace. Yes, the Lord especially hears the prayers of mothers. And there's one memorable marriage in the Bible that no one seems to talk about, and that's the marriage of Joseph and Mary. And if there is a punchline of wisdom in which we can sum up the lessons of that marriage, it is this, honor thy stepmother. Now, I know that the Bible says honor thy mother, but not a word about honoring a stepmother, but that's what Mary was. Because Matthew 12, verse 46 tells us that Jesus had brothers. And chapter 13, verse 55 actually tells us the name of those four other brothers of Jesus. And it adds that Jesus also had sisters, but it doesn't tell us how many girls there were. So now the question arises, were these brothers and sisters children of Mary herself, or were they Joseph's children by a previous marriage? And there are two quite clear clues in the Bible. First of all, the fact that Jesus' brethren, they bossed him around. And that would indicate if they're bossing him around, that they had to be older than him, okay? For in Jewish families, the youngest never did that to the older siblings, John 7, 3 through 5. But also, and when Jesus was dying on the cross, he did not leave his mother Mary to the care of any of his brothers or sisters as he would have done if they were actually her children. Therefore, the conclusion seems inescapable that these four boys and these girls were children of Joseph's previous marriage, and he was a widower. And that opens up a very wide view and appreciation of Mary herself. By the way, she was the Virgin Mary, so she only had Jesus. No children before that. So being a stepmother... To such a brood, I'll tell you, that was a terrific challenge as a stepmother. We know there was friction, there was tension in the family, for these siblings did not believe in Jesus. They didn't believe in him, says John. And that would also mean that they didn't believe in Mary, because she believed he was the Son of God. They didn't believe that of their brother, and therefore they didn't believe in her. Now imagine raising at least six stepchildren who are not truly respectful of you and who believe that you're an adulteress. But wait, look how the story turns out. After Jesus' crucifixion, at least some of those siblings repented and believed in Jesus. In Acts chapter 114, we find Mary, the mother of Jesus, With his brethren, the text says, they were gathered in the upper room with the apostles. They were praying for the Holy Spirit. I am so thankful to see that 
those boys had open hearts and appreciated the cross of Christ. And they were part of those who said how ignorant and stupid we were. We didn't see this coming, the cross of Christ. And now we're so sorry. We see that we were very self-centered. They prayed. They humbled themselves. And what happened as a result was the outpouring of the early reign of the Holy Spirit. The stepbrothers of Jesus. Yes. And one of them was actually looked upon as the president of the Christian church, James. Acts 15, verse 13. And so I have to conclude all honor to Mary as a stepmother. I have the ultimate respect for stepmothers. What was it that made the Virgin Mary to be the happiest mother of all time? Well, before that huge sword pierced her soul there, the crucifixion. The happiness that Mary experienced is indeed shared by many mothers for pregnancy. Pregnancy is normally a time of near euphoria, happiness. God made woman to feel happy becoming a mother. Yes? We praise Him for that. We praise Him for that thoughtfulness and for that kindness that when a mother is pregnant, that's the happiest time of her life. But aside from that natural happiness that every woman is intended to know in motherhood, in the Virgin Mary, there was a special happiness, and we read of it in Luke chapter 1 and verse 45, that Mary has just learned that she is to become pregnant with the Messiah. And in her joyous enthusiasm, she dashes off to the hill country to have a visit with a cousin. And her cousin is an old woman. Her name is Elizabeth. And uh, she is the, pre- the, the wife of a priest, Zechariah. And Elizabeth herself is six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And so Elizabeth greets her and bestows upon her this supreme benediction. Blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Now, every mother may share that blessing that comes from believing the good news that the Lord is communicating to her. A mother with a difference is a mother who believes in the cross of Christ and what it cost him to pay for your sins. That is a mother with a difference. That kind of faith is rare. Why? Because Satan would like to have mothers detour around the cross to find faith. Faith in anything but the cross is Satan's plan. But thank the Lord, there are a few who make mothers who make a difference, and they teach their children faith in the cross. Because faith in a cross means that there's going to be a difference in performance. A mother of faith in the cross, her dreams are going to be according to the will of God, and they will be fulfilled. Every mother desires to be successful in child training, don't they? Successful child training comes from a mother who believes in the promises of God. But to believe requires a calm, a thoughtful heart, 
free from fretfulness, from impatience. And I know that your child may annoy you at times and may exasperate you and try your patience, but now comes the real crisis. Will you believe the good news that God loves your child more than you do? And that if you don't get in Jesus' way, he will give you wisdom to train your child aright. Or will you doubt and disbelieve and allow Satan to put discouraging, fretful words into your mouth that will send confusing messages to your child? Blessed is the mother who immediately reacts to every crisis, every problem by believing in the word of the Lord. A good prayer to pray for a mother every day is the one that that distraught father once prayed, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. That's a humble prayer of a sincere soul who recognizes their faith is weak. Faith only comes by appreciating the cross of Christ, and it grows. This dark world needs more mothers who will believe like Mary did and refused to speak unbelieving words. The Virgin Mary, mother of Jesus, she preached a sermon one time. Do you know that? Mothers can preach a sermon. Yes, perk up your ears. It was a very short sermon, but it was to the point. I think we need to listen to her sermon, don't you? Let's go to John chapter 1, or chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. This sermon was preached at a wedding in Canaan. And when the party had run out of wine and the host didn't know what to do and Mary saw the difficulty and when she saw the difficulty, what did she do? She immediately thought of Jesus. Immediately. Now, one wonders, why would she think of Jesus in the face of a difficulty? What did she think Jesus could do? It seems evident that mother had learned to rely on Jesus as he was growing up in the home, as being someone always willing, always able to do something in every emergency to help the situation. Perhaps Mary thought that he could send some of his young disciples off to buy some wine. She apparently felt that some responsibility because the wedding concerned some relatives and her own reputation for hospitality might have been involved. And so she told Jesus, they have no wine. We have got a problem here. We've got a wedding and they have no wine. And so Jesus must have given her to understand, well, don't worry. Mom, I'm going to take care of the problem. And then turning to the perplexed servants, Mary preached her little sermon. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Fortunately, they did just that. They obeyed his instruction. They took to the governor of the feast the superb wine that Jesus had made by turning the water into wine. Now, I just wonder, how does that little sermon apply to us today? Does Jesus go to the trouble today of telling each one of us specific things to do? I wonder. Does Jesus bother that much 
to tell each one of us specific things to do? The answer to that question is what? Yes. You see, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of who? Of Jesus. You know who the true vicar of Christ is? The Holy Spirit. Okay? He is the personal representative here on earth. And in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, Jesus describes how the Holy Spirit comes to each of us doing three things. Number one, he convicts us of sin so that he can heal us of it. Number two, he convicts us of righteousness. That is, he convicts us of the right thing to do at all times. So Jesus at all times tells us what to do. And number three, the Holy Spirit convicts us of judgment. That is, that Satan, who claims to be the prince of this world, is cast out, he is defeated. And today, Jesus wants to say something to you, to convict you of some duty, to tell you what to do. Do it, will you? Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. Heed Mary's sermon. Now, the Virgin Mary preached only one sermon that we know of, and it was a good one. But there's another sermon by example that she preached that is tremendously helpful to those of us who want to be real Christians. You see, God elected Mary to be the mother of the Messiah. It was a divine election. Do you believe that? This is a better message on the Virgin Mary than you'll hear in the other church. Amen? But mark this. Though God elected Mary to be the mother of Jesus, God did not force her to be the mother of Jesus. Amen? Didn't force her. So the only hope, the only hope that the human race had was for someone to consent to be the mother of the Savior of the world. And I'll tell you, right there was the weakest link in the whole plan of salvation so far as God was concerned. The weakest link. God's purpose is to save the world, and he elected this sinner, woman, Mary, to be the mother of the Messiah, and it could have all broken down right there if she had not believed. It would have been contrary to his character, though, to force this, for her to force the cooperation on her. Suppose no one on earth would have consented to become the mother of the Messiah. Suppose no one. Just face it. If no one had consented to be the mother of the Messiah, then the world would have been lost. The world would have been lost. Becoming the mother of the Messiah involved the most excruciating pain that any woman in the world could ever endure. Simeon correctly told her that a sword shall pierce through thy own soul, and that word soul means Goliath's giant sword. That sword was a giant sword. And no other woman who believed that her son was the son of God was, has been forced to watch him be crucified. What a sword that was for her. If Mary had refused, the Messiah could never have been born. She was elected to this. Now, this was a sermon by example. 
that we get from Mary. She didn't speak any words here, but it was by her example. It was her choice to believe that she was to bear the Messiah. She believed it. Blessed is she that believed, said Elizabeth in Luke chapter 145. Mary's choice to believe supplied the missing link, the missing link in the plan of salvation. Do you see that? Her choice to believe God's promise was the missing link in the plan of salvation. But I want you to also see that she did not do anything. She simply believed. She said, Amen. You can't even say that she obeyed. There was nothing she could do to conceive. It was a miracle. She believed, and the Lord's Holy Spirit conceived in her womb. There was nothing she could do, nothing she could have obeyed, except to believe. This is a woman with a difference. And will you believe it or not, God has elected you, if you please. Yes, He has elected you to be saved. God, who would have all men to be saved, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapters two, chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, you have been elected to be saved. You know what the missing link is in all of that? To believe his promise, to not hinder your election, to not hinder it. Because you can frustrate it, you can choose to negate it, to counteract it, to frustrate, to disbelieve God's election, for he cannot no more force you to enter heaven and eternal life than he could have forced the Virgin Mary. Now choose to believe. Say amen to his election. Consent to the Holy Spirit. Cooperate with God's election. And Christ will be born in you. From first to last, this has to be the work of God. It has to be. Let him do his blessed will in you. Who is this Virgin Mary, and and where is she now? You know, many say that they have seen her here and there. We get reports of that, don't we? Rome teaches that the Bible supports this idea that she's still around. Their claim is based on two texts in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, where the angel Gabriel says to her, Hail! Thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And verses 42 and 43, the aged Elizabeth says, Blessed art thou among women, the mother of thy Lord, my Lord. So the argument goes that these texts mean that the Virgin Mary was sinless by nature and is the mother of God. And Catholic teaching says she is not to be worshipped but venerated based on an artificial distinction, between meaning between two Greek words that in turn are based on a Hebrew word that means the same thing. In other words, Gabriel told Mary that she had received favor. That means grace. Very good. But I'll tell you, God bestows grace only on sinners. Grace is not for the sinless. Grace is God's favor upon the ungodly, upon sinners. Amen? So Elizabeth had it right. Blessed is she that believed. Mary was a genetic descendant of the fallen Eve. 
through Abraham and David and inherited their seed or their DNA or their sinful nature as we have it, have all. But what makes her blessed is that she believed the Word of God. And she passed on to her Savior her own fallen sinful nature. For Scripture says in Romans 8, 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't say that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, except Mary. It doesn't say that. As his faithful mother, Mary taught Jesus how to believe. I like that, don't you? She grew him on faith. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus took upon himself the full faulty equipment that he inherited from Mother Mary, in which we all have. And yet, in that fallen, sinful nature, he lived a life of perfect righteousness, having condemned sin in the flesh, so that in us who believe there may be present the righteousness of the law. And we thank the Virgin Mary for being a good mother to the boy who surrendered himself to the cross. And it would be a sin for us to doubt his total love and devotion to us on the assumption that we must ask her to intercede to Jesus, her son, on our behalf. That would be a sin for us to do that. Could she be more righteous? Could she be more faithful? Could she be more loving than Jesus? To intercede on our behalf before him? Lastly, where is the Virgin Mary? The Bible says nothing about her being assumed into heaven. She's not the co-savior of the human race. There is no co-savior of the universe. There is only one savior. The Pope, notwithstanding, she is not the co-lamb of God. There is only one Lamb of God, which is the Bible's title for him as the crucified one. There is only one crucified. Our prayer should not be directed to the Father in the name of Mary. Our prayer should be directed to the Father in the name of Jesus and not to her. And she will rise from her resting place in the first resurrection when Jesus returns. And he will then give her immortality, which only God now has. There's a picture in the newspaper a while back. It showed a mother, Sarah Jane Olson. She was very disconsolate in the courtroom over here in Sacramento, on trial for putting bombs under police cars 20-some years ago. She had gone underground for years as an apparent law-abiding wife and mother. She was young then and hot-blooded 20 years ago, but she was held accountable for trying murder to murder policemen then. Should God hold us accountable for sins that we committed when we were young and hot-headed and hot-blooded? Modern jurisprudence has no mechanism of justification by faith, you're guilty or not, and if you are guilty, you got to pay with your time. But Sarah Jane paid a debt to society. We sinners before God have a debt to pay before the law and the order of the universe 
but we can't pay it and still live. Cosmic justice demands that it be paid. One has paid the debt for all. And the gospel is God's mechanism of repentance, which operates through faith. We can identify with the one who paid our debt. We can appreciate what it cost him to do so. And that very experience of faith, appreciating the cost of the debt that paid was paid for us, that is the change of a sinful heart, and it creates a true hatred for the sin which we lo- once loved. And in such experience, we call it being straightened out by faith from the heart inside. In other words, justified by faith, and that means being born again. And I don't know about you, but I need that every moment, don't you? Every moment. We can be new people every moment. Each of us can say with Paul, every moment, I am crucified with Christ. And so Sarah Jane had no one who could stand before the court and prove that her debt of 20 years or so ago was paid, and hence her very downcast look in court David teaches us what to pray. Lord, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Everybody has sins of youth. We wish we could forget them, don't we? God has promised to remember them not. But this is only for his goodness sake. And that's because one has paid the debt, the Son of God. The transaction is highly unfair if it is just merely a vicarious substitution, allowing us to to escape with some kind of a hard, selfish heart, the same that we had 20 years ago or whenever it was. God cannot be just and the justifier of anyone of us unless we can convince the heavenly court that we believe in Jesus and that with all of the heart we believe unto righteousness. All of Sarah Jane's decades of law-abiding conduct since the 70s couldn't help her. Likewise, a lifetime of good works can't help us after the sins of our youth. And how can the heavenly court be convinced that our faith is genuine and not spurious only by looking to see if it is genuine, because faith, agape, works, faith works by agape. It works by love. It demonstrates a true atonement of the heart. You can spot them nearly every time. A special group of people who seem happy all of the time, their eyes are sparkling, their smiles are at the ready, their laughter comes easily. They were deeply loved in babyhood by father or mother or maybe both if they were fortunate. They were endowed even probably enjoying a prenatal warmth when mother-to-be was happy and secure. It's fairly easy for them to say, yes, I believe God loves me. They go through life having a continual picnic. They don't walk. They dance their way through. And Solomon speaks of them in contrast with those who have not been so endowed, in Proverbs fifteen fifteen, he says, All the days of the afflicted are evil, wretched. But he that is of a merry heart hath a continual feast. 
Now, the afflicted are those who lacked that warmth when they were growing up, that cuddly love in babyhood and childhood. They may have been orphans. Maybe they were raised by an alcoholic or a drug-addicted parent or in a home poisoned by infidelity and divorce. It's no fault of their own that they are not richly endowed and that they are afflicted. Is it fair that the ticket to heaven seems to be a faith that comes naturally for lucky people or forget heaven for a moment that all their days here have to be wretched? Well, don't jump to conclusions too soon. While it's true that faith is the ticket to heaven, faith is not easier for some than for others because Scripture tells us that God hath dealt to every person the measure of faith. There is no such thing as natural faith. It must be learned. It must be revealed. It must be received. It must be imported and exercised in fellowship with God. Let's assume that the Virgin Mary gave Jesus naturally cuddly emotional warmth in his babyhood. Still, he was reared in an unbelieving family with all of the liabilities that anyone can have known in a hard childhood. Jesus says that he was afflicted from my youth up. That's in Psalm 88, verse 15. All the natural emotional warmth he may have had from childhood vanished as he hung upon the cross. And there he had to live entirely by faith, based strictly upon God's word. Now, your preparation to enjoy not only heaven but life here and now may possibly be even easier than for those richly endowed emotionally since childhood. Because faith is not an emotion. True happiness only comes from fellowship with Christ. And where is he to be found? The Bible says, preaching good news to the poor, healing the brokenhearted, proclaiming deliverance to the captives. Are you one of these? Recovering of sight to the blind, setting at liberty them that are bruised, proclaiming the justification by faith, acceptance of the Lord. Join him and let him make you happy. A little boy forgot his lines in a Sabbath school presentation All that he knew was, for him, his mother represented God. His mother was in the front row to prompt him about his lines. You've seen this before, haven't you? So she she gestured and she formed words on her lips. He had forgotten his lines in this little play up front. But it didn't help him as she was trying to, you know, whisper the lines to him. His memory just went blank. Saw all those people out there. Finally, she leaned forward and she whispered a little cue. I am the light of the world. And the little child beamed, and with great feeling and with a loud, clear voice, he said, my mother is the light of the world. (laughs) May you be a mother with a difference in the light who is the true light, Jesus Christ. Amen. Join us again next time for the Word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel 
as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.